on the third day, Ackroyd created Gozer. Ooh, Dave, sweet outfit. Is that, uh... And Ivan Reitman smileth upon the script. I feel like this is a departure from your normal suit situation. Did you sew those robes? Oh, wait, hold on. Is that my tablecloth? And Ramus, with his mighty pin, blessed the scripted with his editorial eyed. Here's the thing. My my aunt got Deanna and I that for our fifth anniversary. So- and on the fifth day, the mighty Murray signed on to the project. And thus, the greatest comedy of all times was born. Dave, could you please get off my dining table? You're starting to sound kind of Scottish. No okay. can do. I must share the good word. Word of a franchise with just as much lore as Lord of the Rings or Star Wars. I'm preaching the gospel of Ghostbusters. At least let our listeners know that if they send a small tax-deductible blessing of 1999, they can help us continue to do our sacred work. Jonah, this isn't a religious multi-level marketing scheme. Oh. This... Is Galaxy Brains, and today a look back at the Ghostbusters franchise with Race Dance himself, Dan Aykroyd. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Galaxy Brains, the podcast where movies, TV, and overthinking collide. I'm Dave Schilling. And I'm Dave's full torso vaporous apparition, Jonah Ray. And each week on the show, we fire up our proton packs with the logical brain, release our ions with the critical brain, cross streams with the interrogation brain, and go into total protonic reversal with the galaxy brain. This one is really just like very sexual in a way that <laughs> maybe that's the point of Ghostbusters. Anyway, today we are going straight to the source with our guest, the legend himself, Dan Aykroyd. But before we hop into the tricked out hearse of our minds, we need to chart our course with a little segment called Logic Brain. <laughs> Ghostbusters is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a classic film and the second highest grossing film of the year in 1984, which is an incredibly long time ago. The first highest grossing film of 1984, Beverly Hills Cop. It was a good time to be an SNL alum back then, especially Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd. Ghostbusters would catapult Murray into the top 
of the Hollywood A-list. But, 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 but the brains behind Ghostbusters was and is Dan Aykroyd, who has long been fascinated by the paranormal and has said his family has a history of spectral encounters throughout history. His initial treatment for Ghostbusters was around 80 pages, set in the near future, and according to director Ivan Reitman, would have cost $200 million in the 80s. That's got to be at least like uh, $225 million today. That'd be about $528 million in 2021, actually. I looked it up. Whew. Uh, Jonah, that is a, that's a lot of money for one movie. It's a lot of money, Dave. Me, that's too much. It's too much money. It's a lot of money. Yeah, probably wise of Ivan Reitman to suggest Ghostbusters not take place in the future. The film we know and love in which a group of slacker parapsychologists develop technology to trap ghosts and end up saving the world almost by accident, didn't come together really until the addition of Harold Ramis to the writing team. Ramis helped Ackroyd focus the story on Here and Now and pared down the dense mythology of Gozer, Zul, and Evo Shandor from the original treatment. Gozer the Traveler, he will come in one of the pre-chosen forms. During the rectification of the Valdrani, the Traveler came as a large and moving torb. As simple of a story as Ghostbusters became, it's been nearly impossible for anyone to figure out how to successfully continue it in sequels or spinoffs. I don't know. The real Ghostbusters cartoon was pretty good, Dave. It scared the shit out of my son, I'll tell you that. As soon as that pumpkin head monster comes on the screen, he's out. <laughs> but besides that cartoon, the track record of the Ghostbusters franchise is spotty at best. Ghostbusters 2 is a cult classic, but most people feel like it was a step down from the comedic bliss of the original. Or worse, just kind of a rehash. There was something called Extreme Ghostbusters, where all the old Ghostbusters retired and were replaced by some people with wackier hair. Yeah, that was also a cartoon that came out, I, I guess, probably when I was in junior high, when it was cool for everything to be extreme. Uh, I feel like now people are a little bit more... Uh, we're calm now. We're not into extreme stuff anymore so much. Yeah, we don't rock anything to the extreme. Yeah, thank God. Except for Mountain Dew, which is still very extreme. And then, of course, after the cartoons and stuff and the Ghostbusters phenomenon really wound down, we have the 2016 Ghostbusters remake starring Melissa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, Kate McKinnon, and Leslie Jones. That movie seemed to piss off the worst people in the world as soon as the trailer came out. I get vertigo just thinking about social media in 2016. Let's move on, please. Yeah, I think that's for the best. The new Ghostbusters movie, Afterlife, it's one of those in-vogue reboot sequel combo packs that J.J. Abrams made popular with his Star Trek and Star Wars films. Kind of the same story that you're used to, but with a younger cast who every 15 minutes swoons over the old cast whenever they're on screen. It's a formula that works more often than not, but does it work for Ghostbusters? The only way to answer that question is to activate our critical brain. Wow, a uh, younger cast of a reboot, re-sequel kind of thing. Sounds familiar. Yeah. Mystery Science Theater. Oh, I was thinking Mission Impossible. Oh, okay. Sorry. Did they rebooted Mystery Science Theater 3000? You better believe it. They're doing it again. <laughs> All right. Here we go. The history of Ghostbusters really stems not just from Aykroyd's imagination, but also from the history of movies and the very popular genre of comedy horror films. If it's Abbott and Costello meeting Frankenstein, or if it's, you know... Also, literally... Literally a Bob Hope movie called Ghostbusters. Exactly. And that was why they weren't sure they could call the movie Ghostbusters. So they had alternate titles like Ghost Smashers, tons of fake names for this movie or unused names for this movie because they had to get the rights to the name Ghostbusters. That's why the cartoon is called Real Ghostbusters because another company owned the rights 
or shared the rights to the name Ghostbusters. So they made a cartoon based on a bunch of old shorts, I believe, starring Larry Storch from F Troop and a gorilla. <laughs> I remember my mother brought home a VHS tape of it. It was like, check this out. It's Ghostbusters, right? And I was like, mom, no, there's no gorillas in Ghostbusters. That's not Slimer. That's a monkey. That's a real, uh, like, why do you need this brand? We got this at home. We have Ghostbusters at home. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like the Hydrox of Ghostbusters. Yeah, yeah. Why do you need Oreos for? We got Hydrox. Yeah, the movie, I mean, it's legendary and it's part of like our lives at this point. Yeah, it's funny to think about watching this movie as a child because it is very grown up, the first one. It is very mature. There are a lot of adult jokes about sex, about paying taxes and taking out loans. The private sector? I didn't know what the private sector meant. No idea. You've never been out of college. You don't know what it's like out there. I've worked in the private sector. They expect results. Exactly. Yeah, they were. I didn't understand why it was so cushy for them to be working at this college, though I picked up on it. Like, that's the thing with kids is like, even if they don't understand something, they start to understand the references through the process of pondering what it means. Yeah, I didn't understand that uh, the key master and the gatekeeper were having sex. I also didn't understand crossing the streams. We'll cross the streams. Excuse me, Egon. You said crossing the streams was bad. Cross the streams. The crossing of the streams, of course, is a reference to crossing urine streams, but also the, the phallic nature of the proton pack, the neutrona wand. There's something very sexual about the whole thing that you just don't get if you're watching it and you're 12. Yeah. And yet this movie exploded in the imagination of children all across the world. It was lightning in a bottle because everything was so just incredibly on point. From the performances to the music to the effects. One thing that hasn't aged well about Ghostbusters is that uh, Venkman's very hostile to Walter Peck, who just wants to make sure that Venkman and the Ghostbusters are not putting poison into the river. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by Dickless here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Yeah, like they're walking around with radioactive proton packs. Are they sure it's not leaving a trace? There's no particles that are going to be giving people cancer? Is like this this whole thing of like where they store the ghosts, are we sure that the energy in that isn't being a bit too wasteful? You know, we've lived with ghosts for thousands of years. Why do we have to capture them? Yeah. And what do they do in there? <laughs> There's a lot of questions that this movie raises that don't, they aren't necessarily answered. But imagine... It's intense to think about, now that we know more about the carbon footprint of just everyday life, imagine the carbon footprint of capturing and maintaining and uh, storing ghosts. What if they created hell? What if the, the containment unit is actually what hell is? Yeah. Can you imagine being stuck in there? Jesus. Yeah. It's like they get to kind of go around, eat food, scare people, whatever, doing their whole thing, slamming around. And then they get put into just this containment unit where there's nothing but them that's hell. So if anything, that's my galaxy brain take is that the Ghostbusters are the ones who actually created hell. This is something that I want to talk to Aykroyd about later, which is what do the, what do the ghosts experience and what rights do they have? You know, their hauntings are annoying, inconvenient, but they're not life threatening for the most part. Until Gozer shows up. Until Gozer shows up. But that's an interdimensional being. That's another weird thing about this movie that I love is that it's like Gozer almost has nothing to do with the ghosts. 
there was maybe a reaction to it. But as far as I can remember, Gozer is an interdimensional being that like they just also happen to. Yeah, Sumerian god that Evo Shandor is attempting to summon. The ghosts are not working for Evo Shandor or Gozer, but part of Gozer opening the spirit dimension is that ghosts will just be able to run free. It's something that I didn't really ever think about till now. Like I was like, I was like, what is this connection between a Sumerian god and just you know Slimer? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. I'm going to ask Dan Aykroyd later in the episode. Yes, yes, please do. I'm also going to ask him about the most infamous scene in the original Ghostbusters, which is the blowjob. Jonah, did you have a clue what the fuck was happening? the scene when you were a kid no i had no idea i just thought like the ghost was like taking his pants i really that's when i was a kid i was just like oh he's taking his pants and he's like kind of scared about it that's why his mouth is open and his eyes are rolling back because he's super scared but like you know when you nut and the ghost keeps sucking that was the face that dan Aykroyd was making yeah dan Aykroyd's o face uh appears in the first ghostbusters movie this was a part of a longer sequence where they're busting ghosts in a haunted fort and so Aykroyd is like in this costume and one of the ghosts in the barracks gives him a BJ. A moment that was pulled out of the movie. There are a few of them. I think there's a Chinatown haunting that they have to deal with. It's all kind of chopped up into the classic Ghostbusters montage. Yeah. And both the first and second Ghostbusters movie have a montage in the middle of the film. Unnecessary in the second one. I, I Ghostbusters 2, Jonah. This is a movie that I saw first before I saw the original. Really? What? I was five when Ghostbusters 2 came out. I was not born yet when Ghostbusters 1 came out. Ghostbusters 1 came out on June 8th, 1984. I was born on July 26th. So I was too young to see the movie when it came out theatrically. But by the time the new one came out, the sequel, it was Ghostbusters Mania all over again. That was when I really fell in love. And that's when I started playing Ghostbusters in the playground and being told I had to be Winston and I couldn't be Peter because of the obvious reason that I'm not white. <laughs> so that's the movie that I I don't know it as well as the first one because I watch the first one now as an adult way more often. What do you think about Ghostbusters 2? It's maligned for sure. You know, when I was younger and I was a kid, I loved it. Uh, I didn't know that it was a bad movie. <laughs> Why are my drippings with goo? You had a violent, prolonged, transformative psychic episode. It's got a ton of great moments. I get why it's not good, a good movie, and it's a rehashing, but I loved it as a kid. I never understood the element of this sequel that the Ghostbusters were, were considered frauds by the end of it. Granted, nobody saw Gozer or Zool you know, up on the, the top of the Shandor building. That's a very good point. They just saw the explosion, but they saw... They saw the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah, like, why weren't they just kind of considered, like, Buzz Aldrin, you know, walking around, fucking starting a, like, Italian restaurant where they would go by and go, you enjoying your food? Hey, all right, champ. Yeah, they'd be local heroes. But for some reason, the idea of Ghostbusters 2 was they've been discredited, that everybody thinks they were hacks and that they used special effects <laughs> to, to dupe people. You know how expensive it would have been in 1984? To create an entire marshmallow. <laughs> and destroy a building. <laughs> when I was a kid, I was like, okay, well, I guess, yeah. I mean, the Ghostbusters, yeah, true, that could happen. But it just felt like an, an attempt to recreate the magic of the first one, where there was skepticism. Where Walter Peck was like, you're a, you're a fraud. 
Yeah, they needed to do, yeah, to have the naysayer. But one of my favorite things is to you backtrack, reverse engineer a reason for that. It would be the slime. The slime is what maybe caused people to think that they were hacks and that they were frauds. Yeah, the slime under the building. You're right. Yeah, the slime under the entire city was maybe the negative energy was like part, part of that was to make people believe that they were nothing. And maybe they didn't realize that as it was going up. That's an interesting theory that I will potentially ask uh, Dan Aykroyd about. Are you a god? No. Then... Let's talk about the final movie in the Ghostbusters pantheon, the one that is very controversial. 2016's Ghostbusters, colon, Answered the Call, directed by Paul Feig. I don't want to malign this movie. I don't want to spend any more time saying it's bad or whatever. Like, who cares? It was a movie that was destined to upset people for unfair reasons. So we don't need to say anything bad about this movie. People have done enough of that shit. I mean, this is coming around the same time as like, you know, the the, the female Doctor Who. I mean, it was the Clinton-Trump election was like this thing that was hovering over every part of the discourse. And so Ghostbusters comes out and says, now the Ghostbusters are women and the president's going to be women too. So every piece of shit misogynist asshole in the world like latched onto this. I want to talk about what does work in this movie because what's the point of hating something? Like, yeah, stop. Stop hating everything. That's part of what's wrong with the world. Everybody's an asshole. Yeah, people fucking shit on stuff for no reason. It doesn't ever make you sound smarter than saying you like something. Just remember that. So one of the things I love about 2016 Ghostbusters is Chris Hemsworth playing the Janine role. But now he's just kind of like a dumb himbo guy. I thought he was very funny in this. I think this movie was the point when Marvel figured out, wait a minute. What if Thor was just that guy? Like, just a big dummy, like a big muscle band goof. And that changed everything for, I think, Chris Hemsworth's career. Yeah. Is people seeing his comedic chops and how great he was in Ghostbusters. Another thing that I love uh, about that movie is some of the design. I think that the new proton packs looked great. The kind of like, they almost looked like roadside workers who like kind of, you know, pick up trash and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the side of the freeway, which was a different look than the more like Top Gun flight suit look of the original. I thought the special effects in a lot of places were pretty good. Yeah. And I think everybody agrees that the best scene in this movie is Kate McKinnon blowing up all the ghosts with her little gun. Forgot about my new toys. Let's go. Like seeing Kate McKinnon get to be an action star I think it's as thrilling as seeing Kumail do that in Eternals of like, that person's really funny. And like, they've made their whole career off of undercutting their own, you know, sort of, they're always making fun of their own persona. And this, this is just a moment where they just get to be cool. So it's a really cool moment. And also I think for young girls and women watching that movie, you can't overstate how important all that sort of representation is to people. Even if the movie doesn't click for you, like it clicked for somebody. It clicked for somebody. That's the thing. It's sometimes it's not for you. It doesn't mean it's bad. It means it's not for you. I'm not going to go around saying that uh, music I don't like isn't good. I'm just going to say it's not for me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that's that's the, the most healthy way to look at art is it's not for me. One of the reasons why the 2016 Ghostbusters doesn't work for me is a lack of lore, Jonah. What really, to me, made the original Ghostbusters so powerful is 
the time that went into creating the universe and creating the rules and taking from parapsychology itself or the history of, of these kinds of events, those details. It's kind of like Dune, really, I think. I mean, I don't know if Ghostbusters is on par with Dune. I kind of agree with you that it, that's what makes it special, but it's not, you can't put it up against Dune, Lord of the Rings or anything like that. Okay, but Dan Aykroyd clearly has a lore and like a world in his mind. The situations in the movie are outrageous, but Ray and Egon take it very seriously. Those rules, like not crossing the streams or how the containment unit works, those are adhered to through the, the whole movie and into the sequel. Evo Shandor is never seen in the movie, but all that backstory in the holding cell scene where they're like, they got the blueprints of the Shandor building and all that stuff is super effective at making it feel like a grounded world with real stakes. So what are you saying? I'm saying that maybe the one thing missing from the last attempt to bring back Ghostbusters was Dan Aykroyd and his conception of what the Ghostbusters universe really is. A comedic take on his experiences with the paranormal. Without it, that whole thing is kind of hollow. Oh, hold on. I'll get that. Hello? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's right here. Dave, it's, uh, it's Gozer. It's who now? Gozer the Gozerian. They said it's very important. Uh, ahoy, ahoy. Dave, your take on Ghostbusters is absolutely next level. I was listening to your recording through the interdimensional portal in your apartment, and I, you know, was probably going to ask you to choose the form of the destructor and whatnot, but this take is so hot, let's just forget it. The human species is spared. You are pretty destructive on your own anyways. The smog in LA right now. My God, you people ever heard of light rail? Well, I mean, thanks for sparing us, first of all. You know, I was thinking of picking Anna Nicole Smith as a destructor. I love those Trim Spa commercials. Remember? Trim Spa, baby! You leave her alone. Come on. Who was your plan B? Elf. Can you imagine that? That'd be fun. Elf would be really fun, yeah. That puppet with the nose from the show? Yeah, he'd be like, ha I eat cats. And also this person's house. <laughs> hey, hey Willie! I wouldn't mind getting stepped on by that guy. We'll put that one in the back pocket, okay, buddy? <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, Gozer. Hey, uh, did we tell you we have Dan Eckward on the show today? Eckward, really? A huge get. Tell him I said hi. I'd love to do coffee with him sometime, just to pick his brain about comedy. Yeah, I'll definitely put a word in, you know. Just would be good to connect. Okay, yeah, all right. We'll see if he's available. Uh, take care now. Okay, bye. Goodbye. Uh, Gozer's really trying to make some moves. Boy, that is the nicest demon I've ever spoken to. If Gozer's a spirit, why would it need to call you on the phone? Oh, you think they don't get cell service in hell? I don't know. I mean, that's another Galaxy Brain take for another episode. But let's take a commercial break while I see what those data plans cost. Am I right? Just stand Wi-Fi, Jonah. It's free. When we come back, Dan Aykroyd, for real. It's not a joke. This is a real guy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Welcome back to Galaxy Brains. Jonah flew off to film an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 again, but he didn't leave me alone. Today, we're joined by the man behind so many of the most beloved comedy moments of the last half century. Dan Aykroyd, it is an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. Yes, good day, gentlemen. I'm very excited to talk to you about everything Ghostbusters, but specifically your experience with the paranormal. Like, Was there a particular experience that you've had that inspired you to create Ghostbusters? Uh, no. What inspired me to create was the work of my great-grandfather, Sam, who dentist in Kingston, Ontario, Canada, and he was a member of the Lilydale spiritualist community in Chautauqua, New York. Now, they were a very, very progressive community. Suffragettism, feminist rights, same gender preference tolerance. They were an underground uh, railroad escape slave depot. So my great-grandfather was very enlightened, and the Lilydale Society was very enlightened, and it's a spiritual society that believes in the survival of the consciousness after death. Not only does the soul survive, but the consciousness of the person survives. So my great-grandfather was a researcher, and he, uh, he held seances. And we had a family medium named Walter Ashurst. Walter Ashurst was the Ackroyd family medium and used to go into trances on the days that we had the seances and would speak in voices and change his body and shape and channel all of these entities from the other side. So that's why I was uh, interested in mediumship and ghosts. That's really interesting. I, I do feel like people who are in touch with that kind of stuff tend to be more progressive, that they're not necessarily as, as close-minded as people who don't believe in that stuff or don't see the possibilities of that stuff. Do you find that to be the case? To be open-minded enough to believe that someone who dies, they can come back through a mediumship or through a dream or an apparition in most extreme cases. What I'm really focused on, though, is getting science to kind of treat this seriously. Now, the American Society of Psychical Research and the British Society for Psychical Research Oliver Lodge and Crooks, uh, you know, Arthur Conan Doyle, were men who studied science. Our uh, Charles Richet, who coined the word ectoplasm, after seeing a hand come out of a guy's stomach, he said, I have to now, you know, he's a medical researcher, he said, I now have to stop believing everything I've believed in. My entire belief system's out the window after seeing this ectoplasmic hand. And so uh, there were men of science in the beginning of the research were seriously into it. Now... It would be nice to see some particle physicists come forth and kind of postulate, how does an apparition appear? Boy, if we could harness that, then we'd on our way to a, a kind of green energy the world has never seen. Yeah, I, I think one of the reasons why Ghostbusters was so successful and was so important to people like myself from my generation is because of this understanding, this innate understanding that you have of all of this stuff, parapsychology and, and the, the paranormal. Not having that feels like... It's not as, as rich a world. So I wonder, as a creator of this world, have you ever thought about diving deeper into the backstories of some of these things like Gozer or Zool or the, the world that you created, this, this very rich tapestry? Well, guess what? The After movie does precisely that. Exactly that. Yeah. It explores the Shandor myth and the Shandor uh, you know, origins. Jason has taken the torch in the relay. He's picked it up with his part, Jill. And he has written a screenplay and a beta movie that is a masterpiece, in my view, and that totally does that, totally mines, literally mines, M-I-N-E-S, <laughs> the Chandor myth. So, you know, he has done that with this, and I, I'm sure he will uh, continue 
you know, how about a Zool movie? Yeah. I remain a supporter and cheerleader. I was so happy when I read this. And I, I honestly think after seeing the film that it's just going to be like the old days. People are going to see it, you know, go into the theaters and they're going to see one screening. And then they're going to line up outside again for the next one. I was so privileged my career to be able to have worked on big screen and to have done films that people want to see again and again, trading places, blues brothers, Ghostbusters, conehead. All these were incredible collaborations with my contemporaries that work out to films and people want to see again and again. Now, if you look at what's on street today, some of the product there, what <laughs> they'll come and go and be seen again. I think afterlife's going to be a second and third and probably fourth ticket. I've already seen it. I plan to see it again. I, I've already purchased a ticket. I am hundred percent on board with what you're saying. It is a real ride and it is a movie that touched me quite a bit as somebody who grew up loving Ghostbusters. I do want to ask you about Gozer. Because Gozer, you know, and Zool and all of these characters from the original come back in the third act of Afterlife. I read that Gozer was based on a real-life documented haunting. If that's the case, can you tell us a little bit about the specifics of that haunting and, and why you used that as inspiration for the original Ghostbusters? So Gozer the Gozerian, you see, is a Sumerian demigod or goddess or god. There's no gender there. You know, that was drawn but some powerful wizard at the time to destroy things and, it, and just became an entity unto itself. I held a very, very extensive rich of knowledge about this research, and um, he brought that to, to the project. So when I talked to him about this, he understood that this research was extending into other areas beyond just spirits, ghosts, and apparitions, and that is the mystical powers ancient conjurers and sorcerers to draw upon the dark energy and create power for themselves. So when Harold came on the project, he really started to do research. He really dove into the things that inspired Ghostbusters. He knew it already. Oh, he already was aware of this stuff. Okay. Oh, yeah, he knew about it, even though he did not believe. He did not believe in ghosts. Mm -hmm. He did not believe in magic, but he loved the myth of it. He loved Zachariah Sitchin and Chariots of the Gods and Vandonica. Just because of, as an entertainer and a writer, there's rich areas to uh, exploit creatively there. He knew all about the work of Crooks and Lodge and uh, Conan Doyle and their interest in the psychic and the paranormal. So it, it worked very, very organically to kind of marry the concept of, okay, there are ghosts, but uh, yeah, it also rips to other dimensions. Then guess what? Uh, it's going to step through a demigod from the Sumerian era that's been conjured up. So get ready. Better have some equipment ready. And that's what the story was. So it was just delightful. We were so organic. One thing I want to talk to you about before we wrap up is the philosophical implications of some of this stuff. Obviously, Ghostbusters is a romp. It's a fun adventure story. It's a comedy. But one of the things that always piqued my interest into adulthood is – you know, there are, ghosts can be intimate with the living. There's a scene in the original Ghostbusters where your character Ray is is intimate with a with a ghost. Yes, I remember the woman uh, who did that was her name was Kim Heron, I believe Herring, and she was a Playboy playmate. She played the ghost. I, I wish they'd let that scene go a little longer. I <laughs> as a child, I thought the same thing. <laughs> Sexual encounters with spirits are very very common, and. You know, there's some people that I know that have a house that have a presence and they don't try to purge it. They say, you know what, 
I'm going to stay with it and and I'll live with it. Yeah. So so the the reason why I, I'm interested in this is is not purient or sexual necessarily, but the idea that when you trap these ghosts in the containment unit in Ghostbusters, they live there presumably forever because you can't really dispose of them. They're just trapped, right? They're trapped. But once they get in there, there's an amalgamation of their energy. Think of it as a void. Once you get in there, they blend and they all become this ball of psychic energy. You could put a million spirits in there and it's not going to take up any more space. It's not as if there's any real concept of space in that space. Understand it's Yeah, okay. It was all set up like the proton packs and the neutrona throwers and the the little, you know, mini accelerator under there and maybe a mini nuke reactor nobody's talking about to keep the power going so that containment grid can can be a void, a vacuum. Yeah. So they're living inside of a vacuum, inside of a void. Does a ghost have consciousness? If it can be intimate and, and feel love and you know engage in, in, in sexuality, do they notice anything? At least in your conception of this universe, do they are they aware of the void that they're in? Uh, at that point, I think that, you know, compassionately speaking, we would hope that the amalgam of their psychic energy all blends so that they can sit there and hum for years and <laughs> not want to escape. I fear that uh, there might be some vestiges of their individual consciousness left. So it, it is a prison, probably. I would, I, I'd want it to be a compassionate one. Um, but, you know, yeah. from my family's research, my, my Doc Sam Aykroyd, you look at my dad's book, History of Ghosts, which was just published in Poland, by the way. It's a definitive piece on mediumship and seances and, and the world of psychic search. They totally believe, the spiritualists, so, uh, that, uh, that the consciousness survives, that it does go on as what you were when you came through this soul life. So. I guess they do have consciousnesesses and hope um, like a fish. Once you take the hook out, they don't feel too much. Yeah, I'm just so fascinated by this. Not to say that like, oh, the whole premise is not compassionate. It's just like, oh, yeah, what would that be like? What would it be like to, to live inside of that? I think maybe there's something to be explored there in subsequent films because it's just like it's a thing that I have no concept of. Well, it would be a void, and I suppose, I think it could be an, a great animated concept. Yeah, what is going on inside there, yeah. Yeah, well, we have an animated idea in the works with Ivan at Ghostco. Maybe, uh, I don't know whether we're going to go in terms of story with the first two movies, or whether it's going to take another turn and, and introduce a whole new world. We're only in development on that right now. It's exciting to think of Ghostbusters as an animated. Because we had a very successful television show, The Real Ghostbusters. Also, the video game. Have you seen that, the Activision video game? I did play that game, yes. And I grew up watching, not to, not to age myself, but I grew up watching the cartoon, The Real Ghostbusters. Oh, yeah, it was, it was a huge favorite in my house. That Activision game was really, really good. I kind of looked at it as the third movie. It was great. Did you see Free Guy, by chance? Free Guy? Yes, I did. Yeah. Actually, we did an episode about Free Guy, and uh, there were a lot of sort of interesting parallels to what I was thinking about with the containment unit is a life inside of a world. That was really, really well written. That was a terrific, terrific hide Free Guy. And uh, Ryan Reynolds, is a, he's inherited the mantle of the great comedians. That scene when he's watching, the, when he's watching her fight, the way he conveys the, the, that, that goofy sort of, you know, enamorous, in love expression, it's just masterful and so much fun. And, and what a great world to explore. So, yeah, you're right. Maybe we get inside there and do something, uh, you know, containment unit game maybe. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, you bring up Free Guy. It's really important to note how much of an influence the original Ghostbusters films had 
on Hollywood and, and on creative people who are working today, it opened up our imaginations in a lot of ways. And, and movies like Free Guy feel like they are they're 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 taking the torch of Ghostbusters and, and opening the possibilities. I agree. I agree. Before the first movie, millions of people were unaware of what no one knew what ectoplasm was. After the first movie, millions of people became aware of that, leading them to ask more questions. And now look at all the paranormal shows on television, the paranormal shows that are on television. Direct, direct offshoot of Ghostbusters. What's more interesting to me is the fact that there are real ghost hunting societies in almost every county of the United States and all over the world with equipment and, and people who are doing serious paranormal research. They're having fun. And that all comes from the film. And that's, just, to me, the secret sauce of the film is that it has an underpinning of truth to it. Your truth, you know, the way that you feel about this. Like, the technology feels real. It feels approachable. It's tactile. It has a respect for all of this that, you know, made it so special. And I'm so glad that Afterlife is out and uh, people are, are going to see it, as you said, probably multiple times. And it's it's going to give a whole new generation of Ghostbusters fans something to to love and appreciate. It's just wonderful to see uh, McKenna Grace pick up, the, uh, you know, start slinging that neutrona for, you know, with the proton pack. It's great, great filming. I love the the sort of chase in the middle of the movie where they're chasing, oh. and she's in the little How seat. How about Muncher? Kids are going to love that guy. It's a hell of a scene. So the thing is well-founded. Harold had the knowledge. Ivan was an incredible helmer, though, that Billy was our master, greatest comic leading man of the generation. Then you had Moranis, you had Sigourney, you had Ernie. Uh, I credit all of that. With, and I, I planted the seed. That article about quantum physics and parapsychology at the old farmhouse. I was in the seance room one afternoon, and I was reading an article about quantum physics and parapsychology, and I thought, wouldn't it be fun to do a Button Costello, Bob Hope, Howie Boys, Dean Martin kind of uh, comedy based upon the real science of the paranormal? So that I married the concept. I planted the seed. Now the branches and leaves have grown into beautiful things. Well, Thank you for planting the seed. Thank you for being so creative and so so aware and open and, and interested. Your curiosity is infectious. And thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Sure enough, man. Well, uh, good. Thanks very much. And have some fun. And we can toast it with a little head vodka. Hell of a life you've got there, sir. Hell of a life. I'm jealous. I don't take it for granted. Every day, you know, every day. Uh, where are you in the world right now? Oh, I'm in New York City. Oh, you're in the city now. Okay. Well, I'm upstate, you know, to Watertown. So, you know, I've got, I've got the same weather. Yeah, it's it's very grim and very gloomy, but it'll never stop being fun. You have a lot of police down there in New York State. It seems like every second person's got a badge or something down there, right? <laughs> yeah, I don't know what they're doing. Do they hand them out at the Port Authority? What is going on with that? Here, have a badge. Yeah, but, but what's, what, you know, get a little real close. What's that say? Oh, meat inspector, okay. <laughs> Perhaps I'm too close to the meat inspector. No, no, I'm happy to show my meat to the meat inspector, no problem, as long as I see the right badge. Oh, uh, God, have fun. Take care, Dan. Thank you so much again. This was great. Each week, we wrap up the show with a Galaxy Brain take from one of our listeners. Here's Vin from Los Angeles. My little brother, Dwayne, the time has come. The world awaits the finale of Fast 10. As you know, my children refer to you as Uncle Dwayne in my house. 
There is not a holiday that goes by that they and you don't send well wishes. But the time has come. Legacy awaits. I told you years ago that I was going to fulfill my promise to Pablo. I swore that we would reach and manifest the best fast in the finale that is ten. I say this out of love, but you must show up. Do not leave the franchise idle. You have a very important role to play. Hobbs can't be played by no other. I hope you rise to the occasion and fulfill your destiny. I am Vin Diesel. Jonah? What? Huh? First off, shout out to Nate Beagle for doing the reading of Vin. I know people thought we actually had Vin, but I do want to shout out Nate for doing that for us. Yeah, we tricked you. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, it's an odd move to like just publicly do that. But I mean, it's almost kind of a rock style move of using the masses to rally. But he did it in such an odd way. And to like post a picture where he's enlarged so he looks as big as the as Dwayne Johnson was another. Did you notice that? Of course. <laughs> the man stands in Apple boxes in scenes with people that are bigger than him. That's why he loves being Groot, the tallest character he's ever played. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this whole social media post from him. It seems like one sincere because it's Vin Diesel and everything he does is completely sincere. There is no artifice to Vin Diesel. He, the man wears his heart on his sleeve. But also that maybe this is a little bit of a promotion. For the, the next couple movies, the, the last one maybe opened a little softer than they wanted it to. Uh, maybe people are starting to feel like some fatigue is setting in in the franchise. What better way to get people talking about it again than for this uh, love story to reach its final conclusion? Because that's really what it's about is Vin Diesel and Dwayne Johnson finding peace and happiness at last. That's what this whole franchise is about to me. Besides, as you know, the uh, theory that Dom is actually an angel, which if you go back to our Fast 9 episode, I explain in in real serious detail with our guest Jin Yamato from the LA Times. But it's, it's also about Vin Diesel, the man, and his relationship to Dwayne Johnson. And so I want to see these two guys make up uh, on screen. I think that would be awesome. I would pay to see that. I'm going to go to the, the next two movies or, or one movie. I forget how many there there are left just because I love the franchise, but I would really be excited if we got Dwayne back. So yeah. Dwayne, please read this Instagram post and call your friend Vin. Please just call him up. <laughs> yeah. You know, just like David Desmalchin said in our Dune episode, sometimes you just got to reach out to your friends and write them a very long text message you don't send for two, three months. Still have not received that text message from David. Please, when he sends it, let me know. I will, I will. If you want to text me, don't. But if you want to call our voicemail number, we'd love to hear your take on next week's episode. For real this time, the 25th anniversary of Star Trek First Contact. We got it wrong last week. This is the Ghostbusters episode. Our number is 213-570-8069, and it's also listed in our show notes. Give us a call and leave a voicemail. Or maybe give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Like Dave said, we were, we were supposed to be covering Star Trek this week, but we lied and fucked up, and I think that is uh, Dave's fault, right? Dave, is it your fault? 
no, I think a ghost zest me and uh, played a little trick on our audience. I'll tell you exactly whose fault it is, Jonah. You see, Galaxy Brains is produced by Kylie Holloway and me, Dave Schilling. The show was engineered by Dan Turek with music from Galtham Strickishin. Our executive producer is Matt Patches, and our developing producer is Zach Mack. Polygon's editor-in-chief is Chris Plant, and Russ Frushtick is the director of special projects. Special thanks to Andrew Malnasek, who helped create the show. Until next time, I'm Jonah. And I'm Dave. That's a big Twinkie.